Alrighty, uh, welcome everybody to episode 14 of the Hockey Toolkit. I am Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And uh, yeah, episode 14, we've made it this far, so uh, that's, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, we got a little bit of a grab bag episode, something that we want to kind of been tying up some loose ends we've been talking about. Uh, we've had some, you know, some feedback from some different people on social media, so it's going to be a good episode to kind of... Uh, talk about a bunch of different topics that could uh, be relevant to your particular game or coaching. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like you said, it's going to be a lot of different uh, little things here and there. Um, but uh, what's going on in uh, Coach Trimble's world right now? A lot of recruiting. I have my garage uh, that I do some synthetic ice lessons in. We have uh, a little bit of what they call parity out here on the East Coast. So my son's team, who I'm going to be coaching a Spartans team this year, um, they have what they call parity. So they'll play like a weekend worth of games and then they'll uh, be against some of the points they'll play during the year and they'll be able to, you know, the people that run the league, the E9, they'll be able to uh, figure out what are good matchups to put in the right divisions for next fall. So we have that tournament coming up this weekend, but that's really the only hockey other than my synthetic ice and then watching kids play hockey for recruiting for the Wolves. How about you, Trevor? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, right now it's just more or less uh, middle of the grind right now. Um, with spring season, we're in a tournament this weekend right now, so I've kind of been all over, um, which is fine. I mean, I got to take the day off of work for hockey, so that's always a blessing. But, uh, yeah, so we're doing that right now. Um, and outside of that, really, it's not a, not a whole lot. I've been doing my own uh, – I did one, I think, skate uh, already just with this uh, 14 – uh, 2014 group so we had a on ice session on ice off ice which was really great uh we were skating out of jet ice arena which is owned by uh ben eager um former blackhawk ben eager um which is really cool so myself and then i my uh, mentor randy jordan been doing that so yeah that's uh it's kind of really where it's at been watching a little bit of playoff hockey and uh i know your devils are doing uh they're in a interesting situation yeah i think that uh Good first topic to hit out of the park right <laughs> off the bat. Game seven was a – so I, I was talking to my father-in-law today. I was um, – I let his dog out. He's been uh, in and out of the – he's been sick a little bit. So we've, I've had to watch his puppy a little bit. Okay. And I, I, he com- comes up the driveway and we, we talk about – he's like, oh, I've been watching the Devils. It's some crazy stuff going on. And he was like, I think the NHL tried to rig and get the Rangers to win that series. And, no. and we were talking – and I was like – I kind of felt the same way too. Like in, the, <laughs> in game six, you know, they gave them like the first four power plays. And the Devils got up one nothing, and then they get that late power play at the end of the first period. And then the game seven was the same thing. Devils were dominating. The Rangers were getting all the calls though, and their power play was the only thing really clicking for them all series. So, question one thrown to you, Trevor: Do you think the NHL is a conspiracy? I. At night, I have to really try, and I can't do it, but I really need to stop and get off of Twitter because I am tired of watching all these people <laughs> bitch and complain about, yes, the conspiracy of, oh, they got that's a makeup call, or they got to make this. Do I think? No. Do I think it's a conspiracy? No. But I, the it's just this whole, I don't know. I don't know where the game's going, and it's... I enjoy. I mean, like no. So far, I've enjoyed everything I've seen. You know, nobody wants to see anyone get hurt. Um, but here we'll talk like the Meyer, the Truba hit on Meyer. Okay, what were that's that's a good topic what, for sure. What was your thoughts on that hit? Um, my question would be like to throw it back on on anybody else is what else is Truba supposed to do there? 
Right. And that's where I was at, you know? too. You know, you've, what else is he supposed to do? You've, you've got all these quote unquote, ho- I mean, not quote unquote, they are legitimate hockey writers out there who sit and they write these articles about how it's so dangerous. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, we, no shit. It's, it's hockey. Like, we all know cutting across the middle, you're going to get, you could get your head taken off. You know, Scott Stevens made a career doing that. He's in the Hall of Fame for doing that stuff. Not just that. Somebody with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, my thing is, like, nobody's provided a solution. You know, like outside of banning head hits. Well, yeah, I don't want any hits to the head either. Nobody, I mean, nobody does. But when you sit here and you watch it, it's like that that hit right there. Like I've watched it numerous times, frame by frame, just to see like, okay, what could have Truba done? I mean, he literally plays the guy, he plays the body. It's, you know, Myers in a vulnerable position that he puts himself in at kind of the last second. And then... You know, again, Shruba does what he's supposed to. He finishes his check. And when people are like, oh, he didn't need to hit him or this and that. It's like, well, what is he supposed to do? Just let him skate right by until, you know, again, almost under the house. Like, yeah. you know. There, there was a similar play. And I'll actually, I'll clip it and I'll put it on Twitter tomorrow. Um, it happened in a, in a home game in Laconia here last, you know, late winter. Um, the Avalanche were in our building. We had a great uh I think we tied the game later. It was a really close game, or maybe we won at that point we were leading. But a uh, kid who's now at SUNY Brockport, Baxter Kimball, good player in the EHL, he made a play towards the net, um, but he exposed his whole chest, and he had a quick break for maybe about 10 feet of room to get to the net uh, coming off the boards. And we had a back-checking forward, because I think a defenseman fell or was out of position. Back-checking forward, Richard Jelensky's stick down, stick on the ice, doesn't explode into the hit, doesn't leave his feet, but goes right down the middle and his shoulder hits Baxter in, in the chest. Mm-hmm. And Baxter was was knocked, basically knocked out. Um, and in that same play, and you'll, I'll, I'll, I'll clip it tomorrow, um, there was no call on the play. And, they, you know, the Avalanche were losing their mind. They lose their mind on basically everything that's not a penalty. But um, <laughs> in this particular instance, they were losing their mind. And, and the referee said, what else is he supposed to do? He's back checking. Like, are we supposed to just give him a goal? Like, right. I, what else are you supposed to do? Again, you, you hit it on the head. It's like, what are these players supposed to do differently? What are they, um, you know, again, the Truba hit, like, what is, you know, somebody said, well, you could back, you know, pivot, pivot backwards. I'm like, no, you're putting pressure. You've got guys coming back. You've already got, you know, three guys there, which another person was like, oh, that's an excuse, you know, or like, we use the excuse of, oh, there's three of them there. Does he really need to hit him? Like, I get the concern for player safety. I 100% do. Like, nobody wants to see, again, anybody getting severely hurt. But this is part of the game. It's violent. And if you want to call me Neanderthal, then fine. Call me that. But I like it. I like, you know, heavy hits. That's open ice hits. You don't see them that much anymore. And, you know, again, Meyer, yeah, it was a tough position. But what what was Truba supposed to do? You know, and then, yeah. So with that hit, like, I, I have, again, feel bad for Meyer. But I, I didn't have really any sympathy, like for all these people on you know, again keyboard warriors saying, "Oh, it shouldn't happen." Well, it's like we'll, we'll provide a solution. And then again, I'm not 
I'm not one who likes to sit there and say, well, you never played hockey before. You don't know. Like, I never played football. I don't, I didn't play soccer, but I get the general premise of it. And I've got to, you know, I understand some of the tactics and this and that. So I'm not going to throw that on people, but it's like, what is he supposed to do? Like, and again, sometimes you're stuck because you got a lot of homers there that are like, oh, you know, you know, again, you got a lot of these Jersey guys out there like, oh, he should have done this or that. And it's like, okay, well, right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. No, that it's not. I th- Again, I thought it was the right play. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, if, if, the, if anything that changes that play to make it a penalty would be if he gets his elbow up. Right, which he If didn't. he makes that initial – which he didn't. If he gets that initial contact from the shoulder, the initial contact was aimed or targeted towards the head, which it wasn't. Which it wasn't, right. And, or if his stick got up. Or if he left his feet. He didn't do any of them. No. And that's a th- – So, you know, and the one thing – What are you going to call right. it? Right. And now, again, when you know when you were growing up, when you played hockey, when you were taught to check – and when you teach it, you know, at the younger levels, they they tell you, you need to explode through your hit. Now, they're not saying jump, right? They're telling you to more or less bend your knees and transfer your weight through the guy. Like, I mean, I, that's how I, we were taught out For here. Sure. Now, granted, I mean, I had some screwball coaches, but that doesn't mean, you know. But yeah. he didn't do any of that. He, it was stick on, the, stick on the ice, feet on the ice, shoulder, trying to go through chest. And it just so happens that Myers head level, you know, drops. So... Uh, oh come come on! In Chicago, you mean you mean to tell me they don't make you run the gauntlet oh, when you're like, oh god, that was the worst. <laughs> that was, I mean, don't get me wrong, I loved it, but uh, yeah, that was the worst because I put a bunch of punks <laughs> who just that's all they did. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we ran the gauntlet. That's um, head contact. You had a head, if you made any head contact back then, you just shook it off and you kept going, which is not good whatsoever. But uh, I remember like when they uh, when I first started coaching, it was like. Uh, to, like first like head coaching of a team it was like 2008 or so and I remember sitting in with an athletic director and it was my first high school job and he was like oh you know last year we got to really make sure we take care of that locker room because last year there was like some locker boxing and stuff like that and oh, I remember thinking to myself like geez these kids seem pretty fun <laughs> <laughs> I think I could get along with these guys am I up next <laughs> right <laughs> you know and I get it like we can't be doing that no, that's that's not. you can't do that nowadays but I remember being actually playing like freshman lacrosse and uh we used to do like we so in, in where I went to high school you had to walk to this army camp to play lacrosse it wasn't on school grounds okay. and that was like that walk to the the camp it was I mean that it's free for all, you know. <laughs> Believe it. Yeah. You're 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 dumpster diving, you're doing whatever you can. It's like there's some crazy stuff going on. But we, we got there and I remember I was like lined up that day to like I was gonna fight Chris Nagaski. And Chris Nagaski was like uh well he could he could be from Chicago, yeah. you know. He like a big big Polish <laughs> And I remember we were going at it and he stepped on my foot like a greasy move, oh. stepped on my foot and then buried me and <laughs> Why told me? <laughs> oh man, turned into like one oh, of those dummies that like just go back and forth, right? And like just get pop it and it pops oh. right back up, pop it again, comes right back up. That's where you were, yeah. Yeah, I was planking there for a minute. Oh man, I mean that's why literally I stick around. Well, I do it anyways. But after even after practices, I would never leave the midgets alone. Like I knew, I'm like no, I'm like, there's not a chance. And I'm like, oh, coach, why are you still sticking around? I'm like, because I know that the type of shit you guys are gonna pull if I'm not here. Like I'm not gonna be the one who's getting dragged into an R and E meeting because you guys decided to screw off. So you can't. And then plus they have all phones too, so they're gonna record <sighs> it all. And then you can't you can't say, well, I didn't see it. It didn't happen. It's just a rumor because they're gonna be recording it for all their friends. And 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 in all fairness, like we 
you know, you can, you can do that at home with your brother. Right. You yeah. Can leave that away from yeah, the room. Don't, not pick on well, we, yeah, we had institute that rule. No cell phones used in the locker room. If you had to text someone or call someone, you had to step out of the locker room because that's gotten out of hand. And that's a subject for another day, I'm sure. But, uh, what did you think last night of, uh, was it last night or two nights ago? The, uh, Bennett, uh, the Bennett, um, uh, Matt Nye's incident behind the net. Yeah, he follows through there. I mean, he's got to be suspended. Uh, I don't know. I mean, comparative to some of the other suspensions, uh, I'd have to, like, say what that is. But, like, you know, I mean, at that point, it's not a hockey play. It's not It's not a hockey play at that point, you know? I And, again, I mean, I, I don't just – I get where you're coming from. I Part of me, it's okay. He He's made his check. Um, you know, take it under the ice, fine. Like, you know, everyone's saying, oh, he popped him in the face, like back of the head. Like, I didn't think there was a punch, like an actual punch thrown. Um, does he slam him in the ice? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, he does. But, like, the outrage, again, and it's Twitter, so like, you got to take it for what it's worth. But, and again, it's the Leafs fans too. But the outrage on it was just like... I, you would have thought the guy just got McSorley or Bertuzzi on it. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. like, are you kidding me? Like, okay, so he did get fined for his cross check in front of the net, which rightfully so. That That's blatant, clear as day cross check. But I mean, I thought the play behind the net, I thought it was wishy washy. I didn't think it was as big of a deal as everyone made it. But there's no doubt that the NHL is right now, you know, the referees are under a microscope. You know, when you got Tim Peel out there who's just laughing at everybody on Twitter who's making comments about, oh, send this to the player safety department. Like, <sighs> well, what about what about the big news out here? Everybody's talking about is they're saying the Bruins choked. They're saying the Bruins choked. That's the language they're using. And in my opinion, I've said to everybody, like, that Florida team, I didn't want to play that Florida team, you know, at any point. I mean, that's a good, deep team that's got really, really competitive players. Like, if you got guys like, Ekblad and, and you got you got I mean Kachuk has been playing out of this world and then they're getting good goaltending oh, like yeah. that's a dangerous team and I don't think in, in any context it's a choke yeah I mean they should have won this series on paper but like the games played on the ice right it was a good series oh for sure and that's why we play the games you know and then you know it's uh Bobrovsky I mean you ran into a hot goalie that that helps first of all and then again as you said they've got good depth they've got guys that want to play and that want to win and I'm not saying take that away from the Bruins I wouldn't say the Bruins choked. I mean, their goaltending just wasn't as strong. And, you know, you lose Bergeron for two games, right, if I remember correctly. I mean, that that doesn't help. Again, yeah, the greatest, you know, they had the greatest season, we could say, in the, you know, the uh, salary cap era, you know, for sure. But would I say they choked? I don't know. I mean, Florida's right now taking it to Toronto in the series 2 nothing. So, yeah. I mean, there's another team that – so, choked, uh, I think that's a strong word. Um I mean, if you had to put up those two lineups on paper, right, side by side, if you said you're going to start off your team with Barkov, Kachuk, and Ekblad, or you're going to start it off with Pasternak, Marshawn, McAvoy, there's not that much. It's pretty close. There. Right, yeah. I mean, I – You know, I mean – I think Bob- – But but where they get the – I think where they get the, the, the real benefit, uh, the Bruins, is they have – that third line has way more skill. Right. And, but those guys didn't play very well. No, they didn't. And it's it's kind of when I go back and I think about like when the Blackhawks had their runs, you know, like their third lines, even their fourth line. And again, you know, here we go. We talk about it. I just brought them up earlier. Like when they won their first cup, their third line was uh, right down the middle was Burrish or Frazier. Then you had Burrish and you had Eager. Now, again, 
yes, they're they were grinders. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Eager had some had skill too. Like I remember when he scored that goal uh, in what was it, Game Five, you know, where he goes top cheese in in Philly, like. The guy, and I see it now personally, daily, you know, on the, on the weekends, he's got a great shot. He's got great skill. You know, like teams back then, it wasn't, you know, your typical fourth line of just guys that were knuckle draggers or, you know, yeah, they they did. They were aggressive. They were great on the forecheck, but they provided some skill. And then, then the next cup, you've got, you know, Froelich on the fourth line with, you know, Kruger and then Bolig. And again, Bolig, yeah, he's, he's a, okay. Bolig was a little bit more of your, you know, penalty box guy, but, um, you know, but again, they had skill and that's, I think the teams that have that up and down the, you know, as you just said, that third line and for Boston, they just didn't, didn't play their best hockey, but they were definitely more skilled. So I think yeah. that's my take. I don't think it was a choke. What I mean, do you think they choked? No, I don't think they choked. I think they just ran into, like you said, a hot goaltender and a team that was, you know, may have been ranked lower uh, in the NHL standings, but on, Paper is just as good. I mean, that's a good team, right? I mean, the, that's a, the East is tough. They, they, they just didn't have as good a year, but like they're a good team. So I, I, and I think that like a lot of teams are starting to really invest in that a little bit more. I mean, obviously you always in, invest in that when you didn't have the salary cap, but um, now teams they they, have, they dump so much money in their top guys yep. that they kind of have to neglect their third and fourth lines with just other players who are within their system or young players. But if you can have a, a third third line that's comprised of you know, quality NHL veterans who can eat up minutes and play in a variety of roles, like now you're really going to be a tough team to play against because those playoff games are a grind. Oh, absolutely. And that's, again, as much as I dump on Toronto just because of their fans and their media, um, I mean, I'm, I can't believe that they don't. They haven't gotten farther in the last few years just because they have that type of lineup, you know, lines one through four, and then even the defensemen. I mean, they've got great team that's all around over, you know, an overall great team. So I don't know. It's It's been fun. The East has been rough. has been a rough and tumble, uh, you know, but good in a good way. Um, the West will be interesting. Uh, but of course, you know, I'll, uh, it's tough. I know I, I would love to root for your devils, but unfortunately I, I do have family in Carolina and I've, it's like my second favorite team. And so, uh, but it, it's a good, it's been a good series there too. So, you know, they look pretty good in the game one. I mean, they, they slowed the devils down. The devils, I think came out a little flat. Uh, and it was a quick turnaround. Um, they played well in the second period. I thought the devils had like more of a devil style second period. So I think the series is going to go deep, but we'll see. I mean, that Carolina team is so seasoned, but they're also like there's there's no matchup you can really say oh, oh it's a clear cut advantage. Like if you put their they put their fourth line out against the Devils' second or third line, it, they're still going to do really well. Like they're so deep and and complete. Playoff hockey is always great hockey, and it's uh, it's fun, and people get so riled up, and you know. Being a Blackhawk fan, I don't have to worry about the being in the playoffs probably for another five years. But uh. Well, uh, that's that's when we're really going to know if the NHL is rigged. If somehow the Rangers score Connor Bedard, <laughs> right. <laughs> then we got a conspiracy going. That's for sure. Well, that'll be the best birthday present if I find out the Blackhawks get the first pick because I'll be uh, very happy on Monday if it happens. But uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I kind of hope they don't because uh, I- I'm sick of. I don't like tanking. I, I think it's a coward's way out i respect the teams like again 
the Bruins, uh, you know, unfortunately not this year, but the Penguins who have had these top players, but they found ways to continue to win. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm tired of watching teams like the Oilers who lost so many. I mean, look at the first round picks, like half of them aren't even in the league anymore. And if they are, you know, you know, <laughs> Yakubov's playing in fucking Russia right now. And God knows where if he, I don't even know if he's in Russia right now playing, I have no idea. Where that uh, you know, um, so, you know, I'm tired of seeing these teams, you know, tank and I, I'm not happy to be a Blackhawks fan right now. I think tanking's dumb. Now, five years from now, if they actually work, if it works out, yeah, I'll be sitting there like, oh yeah, this is so great. You know, it's great. We had our team, but I, I don't know. I don't like tanking and, and any sport. I think it's just like, again, a coward's way out and it's just, it sucks to be those, the fan of those teams, you know? I mean, and you look at those drafts too, like, um, you know, you look, go back five, six, seven, eight years. You know, the consensus number one overall doesn't always pan out to be the number one guy. Like, you can find real gems later in those rounds. I think if you look back even to the even in the recent drafts, like the 2020 draft, you know, you had Alex Lafreniere. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. You know, he had a horrible series against the Devils. And the Devils picked 18th that year and got Dawson Mercer. And he is oh, yeah. light years, light years ahead of the number one pick. So, like... Yeah, you can tank, and that, but you might, might lead to more tanking. Right. You know, it doesn't, no. doesn't guarantee you're going to get better. No, for sure. Him, uh, who's uh, – I'm trying to think who they picked uh, the year before, the guy who's got terrible skating uh, skills. Uh, the forward, damn it. It's the other one. Um, Kako? Yeah. You know, like, again, he's he's got – don't get me wrong. Both of them, him and Alex, have gotten better, but it's like they're still not, you know – I wouldn't. They're not elite. I wouldn't put them in elite. I wouldn't put them as you know top first liners. You know, and no. that's what if you're drafting that high, that's what you're you're hoping to get. And again, not every draft year is the same, but I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting again. I mean, it, I hope the Hawks do get the first pick, but I also part of me hopes they don't because again, I'm I'm tired of tanking. You know, I'm, I I think I think no matter what, Bedard is like he's like a like a like a, like a McDavid type pick. Yep. He's going to be the clear-cut number one, but there's going to be a couple guys later. Like the Fantilli kid from Michigan oh, is fantastic. God, he's a, he's a man amongst boys when even though he's the boy playing against men. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah but the, I mean, like you said, the, the, there's going to be a number of guys in that in that first round, this 2023 draft, that, you know, you might pick fifth and be like, oh, I'm glad I picked fifth. You know, Absolutely. that might be – there's a lot of good guys there. So. Tanking doesn't always work out. It probably is going to work out whoever gets Bedard, but there's going to be other guys who are going to be pretty close. No, definitely. And, uh, you know, you just you just hope it works out. But, uh, you know, you know, talking about retooling teams and stuff, how uh, right now with you guys, you know, we've talked previously with Coach Power. We talked with Neil Ravin um, about, uh, you know, player movement as well, you know, rec- you know, recruiting and, you know, signing. How is uh, how's, how are the Wolves doing right now with their uh, bringing players in and your tryouts and – all that fun stuff. Good, good. I think every organization is a little bit different. Every junior league is a little bit different. Obviously, at the USHL, you have the the tender process and you have the drafting, and uh, and the same thing in the North American League. Uh, those are some, those are different ways. And every every kid in the, in the in the in North America wants to play in those leagues. But then you get down to the you know, the, the lower level leagues, and and it's um it's a grind. You know, you got to find players and um in. You know, it's great to have an in-house feeder program. If you have a youth program, like an 18s and 16s that can move kids up or an EHLP or USPHL elite, whatever it may be, that can help. You know, you can develop players internally. 
Uh, and we've been able to do that successfully. We have a number of players who move up every single year that can kind of, you know, gel in and know, know the, know the kind of things we're looking for. And um, so that's where we're at. We're, we've added some nice pieces, but I think we're the strength of the program comes from that internal movement because kids understand the program and understand things that we're looking for. One of the big news coming out in junior hockey was the B- BCHL leaving Hockey Canada. What are your thoughts on that, Trevor? I uh, yeah, that's that's huge news. Um, you know, I'm going to be honest. I haven't really followed. I followed it enough, but not enough to know a good amount. But uh, um, that's that's. I mean, what is? Are they looking to go AAU, or are they looking? You know, kind of like how you guys are, or are they? going to be under USA Hockey? I don't know. That's, I mean, again, I saw the news that they were getting out of Hockey Canada, but I don't know what, who, how, what a governing body is going to be overseeing them. So I don't know the governing body, what that's going to look like, but I know that the BCHL has had for several years uh, a significant issue with their tier labeling. You know, you have major junior in Canada, which is the top level, but those aren't NCAA eligible players. Right, because they get a step in. That's right. And then you have at the next level, basically their junior A tier two is everybody else except for junior B. So it's you know the Maritimes League, it's the CCHL, it's the NOJ, right. it's the AJ. OJ, AJ, the Saskatchewan League, and the BCHL. But the BCHL really out of those leagues is a step above, and right. they've separated themselves. The amount of NHL draft picks and Division One commits coming out of that league are – Rival right up there with the USHL. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's above the North American League in terms of the the consistent quality and 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 the, and the longevity of it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah. So, like when you have a league like the NoJ competing for players um, who doesn't have any Division One commits, they shouldn't be on the same level. So the BCHL wanted to separate themselves, and what they also did did by leaving Hockey Canada, you know, they were restricted basically within British Columbia and then the American West to recruit players because you divide it up uh, within your geographic proximity. So like, you know, the OJ could recruit out of basically like New York and things like that. Right. Um, but now they can recruit anywhere and they're looking for the best players. So I think that that league, which was already outstanding, is probably going to get better. So I mean, def- I'm, I'll agree with that. They're definitely a step above the NA. Um, I, I don't see them right. I mean, not right now, definitely not a step. They're even, even with the USHL, but you know, I can see them definitely trying to, you know, be that that league that's right in between. Which w- that'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, as you said, it'll be, um, you know, now it's that that new ground and the fact that they can now basically recruit from anywhere. Um, do you know if they're going to still be a okay? You got to, you know, are, are they going to cover the expenses or is it going to be you still have to, um, you know, put up a tuition? I don't know the full understanding. Of, I don't have a full full grasp of that that tuition model. I know that you know the leagues in Canada they vary all over the map. Yeah, like the true. AJ AJ is free, whereas the CCHL you play in there it's forty five hundred bucks, which is the same as like playing in, in many tier three leagues in the U.S. I mean, it's probably a little bit cheaper, but it's not that far off. No, right. Um, so when you compare apples to apples, it's it's definitely a different league. I know that they can also get a lot of fans out in the BCHL, whereas if you're playing in a league like uh, the OJ, you know, there's a lot of rival hockey in Ontario, so you oh, don't yeah. get as many fans. Um, so it's it's they deserve to be, you know, whether Hockey Canada said we're going to have major junior, tier one, tier two, then tier three, 
or the BCHL leaves and defines itself, there needed to be a shakeup because there had been a, you know, they've really separated themselves in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, and now, you know, circling back to what we were previously talking about, you know, about the Wolves recruiting and you guys building your roster for the fall. The one thing I do like, um, and I do know that the USPHL does it as well. Um, you don't see it in the NA, but the NA uses the NA3 kind of to an extent. Um, but what I do like with the EHL, you know, in, again, even the USPHL, I hate saying it, but it's true. Um, you know, I do like how it's, it's kind of like a European model of you've got your 16s and then you got your 18s and then you got your Premier League and then you got your top team. Um, and I like the fact that, that you can build from within doing that and you can, not only are you, you have the players now under one roof of, okay, they're going to develop, you know, the way we want them to, you know, not only, not skills, not only skills wise, but concept wise, you know, I, I really love that about it. Um, where you, you do get to keep them. Now, how much movement do you guys see potentially, um, you know, season to season of kids going from maybe one program to another or as well as, you know, just, I mean, the goal is obviously if they're in the 16s, they got to move up. But do you see a lot of movement between kids going from one team to another within the league or going to another league, league in general? Or has it been pretty steady about kids just moving up and sticking within that EHL, uh, within the EHL? I think, um, you know, sometimes teams will move off. Kids will move off the teams that have had weaker records. I don't know if I always agree with that. Um you know, especially in a college recruitment league like the EHL, if you can go, let's say you're on, I'll make up a name because I don't want to like offend anybody. Let's say you're the apple pies or something like yeah. that. That's close to the uh, a team <laughs> in the league. So let's say you're the apple pies and you didn't have a great year, but you're playing first line minutes and your coach is an advocate for you. Right. To now go to the, I'll make up another name, like uh, the landslides. Like if you go to the landslides, and now all of a sudden you're trying to get in the lineup. Maybe the coach is still an advocate for you. I mean, that coach puts a lot of kids in college, but you probably won't have the exposure that you, that you might get if you just stayed with that team and helped make that team better. Right. I think um, I think two kids, and you see that with the portal too. I think okay. so many kids are just willing to jump ship because they had six less wins than somebody else instead of making it like taking ownership over your team and trying to improve your team. What are your thoughts, Trev? You know, you brought up the portal and, you know, to kind of like just keep the conversation flowing here. I, I don't even, I don't really like the transfer portal right now. Um, me too. Me either. I think it's a, I think it's kind of a joke, especially when you make a commitment to a school who's going to make now again, you know, it gets into that whole, like, you know, you know, the NIL stuff and all, all of that. But I'm looking at it in the brass tacks of like when I, and the genuine coach in school commit to you as a player, um, you know, and they're hoping. And we're, again, you got guys that are going to be one and done or two and done because you know they're that good. But I think the whole transfer portal used to be, you know, if you're transferring, you had to sit out a full year in order to transfer. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, okay, well, well, shit, my team sucked this year. I'm going to go over here. And again, some kids, you know, if you go to a school and you're not getting what you were told you would get I totally understand it's no different than what you're doing and what I'm doing at the youth level and you at the junior level but we're talking about kids that are going you know hopping in one thing and god I mean then we're talking hockey there look at football if you give me on Deion Sanders I I don't even want to get on that whole Colorado train yeah, right there where, where he's it's a mess where he's flipping his entire rock like what are we whatever happened to being loyal you know not only is it 
you know, given your word, stand with your word. Like as a coach, you know, if you tell a player, yeah, you know what? You're going to come in as a freshman. You're going to see so-and-so amount of minutes, but our goal is to get you up to the next level. And we're going to do everything we can. Whatever happened to that actual, you know, it's a commitment. Whatever happened to that commitment and sticking with it? I know. It's like, you know, there was, there was, there needed to be a paradigm shift, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I think there was, you know, there was in the 50s, 60s, like you had Bear Bryant, like Junction Boys, right. guys dying on the practice field. That can't, that, you, you, you're playing football here, man. We're not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not willing to lose my kid right. like, <laughs> for practice, yeah. you know? Practice. So there needed to be, <laughs> there needed to be a change. And then I think with dialogue and with, um, with a more understanding envi- like you know, environment around college athletics, there was, but now it's like all in favor of the players. It really is. The players hold all the cards. Which isn't a bad thing. I mean, again, players should have, you know, there should be more for the players. Again, you, we hear the stories about guys who are not even athletically scholarships to the, to the school. And, you know, they're, you know, they're, they have to pay their way through. And I forgot who the, who the player was. They were talking about him in the draft. Might have been Jalen Carter, um, about how like he was getting all this money, NIL money, um, and scholarship, and he was basically paying for a teammate to, you know, have a, a good meal from the school cafeteria every day, you know. Um, you know, like you hear those stories, like that shouldn't happen. Like players should be able to be getting good quality meals, you know, especially if they're playing yes. on the sports athletic team that's raking in billions of millions of dollars in the leagues that are bringing in billions, but you know. That should happen, but it's also like, hey, if I'm a coach, I'm making a commitment to you. Like, don't bail on me, you know. If I'm doing my job, and I don't know, I I don't like it. I don't think it's, uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I don't like it. But also from a player standpoint, you know, if I have a teammate who, you know, I'm working hard with him, you know, we, we play two years, and all of a sudden, junior year, you decide I'm going to go to the bigger school, you know, you know, look at you know Quinnipiac or Quinnipiac, you know, like look at them, like small school, like. You know, those kids, and I'm sure they've gotten some, but like those, a lot of those kids have been playing together for the last four years. You know, why? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, there's something about that brotherhood. And again, like making that commitment as a player to the program, but also from the program to the player. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that that doesn't happen. We both know that there's plenty of coaches out there that will sell their souls and not follow through. Like, we're, I'm not going to, we're not going to bullshit anybody. But it's also <laughs> like, you know, I'd, if I'm that coach and I'm doing everything I can for the player and I know there's people, you know, listening or saying like, oh, well, that's your job. Then you're doing your job. Like, yeah, it's great. I am doing my job and I'm happy. But it also is like sucks because somebody else is now getting the reward for it. But yeah, there was there's a you know, there's a happy medium where like, you know, there, there are a lot of horror stories of, you know, um, you know, football players or basketball players uh, from low income families who. No, they they struggle throughout the four years of college or if two or three years of college, and that really shouldn't happen. You know, there, there's more to be said for your college experience than just getting in classes for free. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think there's there there needed to be a little bit of change, and common sense I think would have prevailed a little bit more instead of layering on a ton of new rules. But um, on the other end of that, like, you know, college used to be about. Um, preparing you for the workplace, right? right? Preparing you for your career. And, uh, you know, you show up, we work for a week and you're like, Hey man, I just, listen, I'm in the transfer portal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going on I'm, uh, enterprise. 
You know, I, I'm going. I'm going to Hertz. To make. I'm going to right. national. National calling me. Dollar Rental wants me. So, you know, like, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. We're trying to train kids to be adults here, right? right. I, I, you know, I think there needs to be a place for that too. Now, that being said, any player that left Colorado football, uh, the college for football, uh, got away from Coach Primetime, I do not fault them whatsoever. I I would have gotten the hell out of there once he came in and told me he was bringing his bags and told me what type of bags he was bringing. I'd have been like, all right, see you, Coach. I'm gonna go pack my just regular old, you know, whatever, whatever those gold, God, those backpacks that uh, I don't even know if you can find them anymore. Jams- that that was it. <laughs> yeah, get yeah. get one of those. Pass my passport, pass my East Pack. Yep, get the hell out of there. I'll go find somewhere else where I'll be appreciated. Uh, for sure, that's different. But, um, <laughs> you know, I know I just saw uh, the other day you guys, uh, you yourself, uh, you guys got the synthetic ice all up, and uh, you guys are see you got the garage going. Yeah, so I, you know, we have a we have our house, and then we have a um a detached garage, which when we first looked at the house had a big tractor in it and uh you know i'm a guy from new jersey i didn't even know what that thing was it might might as well have been i don't i don't even know so the guy was like do you want the tractor and i was like well maybe but like what does it do and so he ended up selling the tractor it didn't come with the house but i had this space that was like pretty sweet and uh actually josh gresco uh, when he was playing in Laconia, he helped me d- demolish some of the potting <laughs> shelves that were in there, him and a couple of his buddies. And we turned it into a synthetic ice sheet. And I had a bunch of weight equipment that I picked up off Craigslist and things like that. And it's a cool little spot. And, uh, you know, over the 10 years or so that I've had it, there's a bunch of kids who played college hockey or even some played some professional. But they've been in there shooting and, and doing stuff. And it's been a good little incubator for for kids to get better at hockey. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I only really do it for about three, two, three months. And now I'm at a stage where, um, and I got a little more stuff going on with my kids. So I, I kind of have to prioritize that yeah, and sure. rightfully so. But, uh, when I do get to squeeze in and I can run in like to a, you know, a three or four hour time block with a bunch of different kids. And I have a lot of fun. No, look, I mean, it looks awesome. And then I saw that you got the, uh, the, uh, what is it? The floor hockey or road hockey getting that going. Yep. So we put up the boards the other day and um, we're ready to start this Sunday. Uh, when this comes out, that will be already past it, but uh, ready to get going on, on floor hockey, which will be dropping on every Sunday, which I, I implore every youth hockey program in the country, um, start thinking about street hockey. we got to get our kids outside doing um, unstruck, basically unstructured activities. I mean, I'm going to blow the whistle for line changes, but the kids are playing and a lot of it they're going to have to resolve on their own. So it's going to be no holds barred out there for sure. <laughs> you mean having the kids to actually think for themselves and not have a coach screaming and telling them what to do? I know, God forbid. <laughs> and mom and dad can't sit there <laughs> and like plan. I mean, granted, you have a schedule, but it's not like it's awesome. At the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is it's awesome. That's uh, and I don't disagree. Road hockey, God, I mean, growing up. I remember playing that, you know, I mean, the cul-de-sac across the street and we had kids oh, that yeah. kids that didn't even play hockey, but we'd all get out of rollerblades and play. No. And, and, and you know what? I think parents involvement has put my leg out of business and that's a shame Yeah, because my leg was thriving in the eighties <laughs> for sure. My leg pads, gl- those horrible gloves, remember oh, the gloves? God, yes. the really flat yep. ones. Yep. Yeah. The shin pads that were like, looked like you were a stormtrooper. Oh, yep. Yep. 
just <laughs> let the kids the awful helmets. Let let the kids play. But so with all that being said and done, are you guys doing? So are you doing anything on ice? Well, we don't have the ice in Laconia right now, so I, I don't get really back on the ice until I start doing my summer stuff up at Plymouth State in uh, the first week in July. Okay. How about how about you on the so ice? So we do uh, we we do have ice going right now. Uh, so we do have ice going on right now. Um, I mean, we're still obviously practicing with spring stuff going, and then I've got that uh, studio rink that I'm doing uh, right now. I'm doing. I think I got four sessions uh, set. We've already done one. Then we got three more set up for. Uh, this month and then once and then i think one of those is in june and then uh probably take like a week or two off and then i'll just do like one every on the on the sundays uh, or saturdays something like that just one hour of on ice and then off ice just to keep the kids engaged but also nothing just dropping but uh when you guys uh do your um you know with, with your camps and stuff how much of uh how much of it is uh focused on your uh the skating mechanics Oh, well, I have one week that's all power skating, a power skating camp. Okay. Uh, then my full week camp, I really kind of break it up with the morning and the afternoon ice sessions. There's two ice sessions. The morning is really focused on skills, whereas the afternoon is focused on really like gameplay. So it's a lot of small area games in the afternoon or like uh, game situation type things. But really in the mornings, you know, we'll spend over the course of the week, probably, you know, four or five hours just on power skating. Whether that's um, you know, with your with your warm ups or your line drills or like just the station work, uh, and I think in terms of what I've seen, when that's one skill that if kids go to a, a week long camp that's just focused on power skating, you can see a tremendous amount of improvement. Like you could go for a week at a hockey camp and you get a little bit better. Yeah, you could go to go for a week at a stick handling camp. It may not make you score a million goals. No, you can go right. for a week at a goaltending camp, and I don't know what, what they do over there. But then <laughs> if you go to a, a week-long power skating camp, it's an eye-opener, and you can see a tremendous – oh, that kid, now he's getting full extension on his stride. Oh, his posture is totally different. You know, like you see you see yeah. things that they learned in camp implemented immediately. Absolutely. And that uh, that kind of brings us to our uh, five myths right there. Like, man, these segues, I am just – killing it now uh you're good Trevor. i know <laughs> we're uh but yeah our, our five myths this week you know we wanted to kind of talk about uh you know the five myths of skating fundamentals um i think it's a good topic right now because a lot of parents are looking kind of to get into other uh, players into potential hockey camps as we said like you know power skating camps as well as for players that are listening um you know, it's a good topic to really, you know, what, what should you be focusing on uh, in your sessions? Um, and of course I, uh, this time I get to lead off. So again, we're talking about skating fundamentals. So I think myth number one is, uh, isolation training is bad. Um, yeah, when you said that, I was, I was, I was wanted you to dive a little bit deeper on what you mean by that. So when I say isolation, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of, instructors think, oh, you know, okay, let's just put the kids out there, let them move, you know, have them focus on this and that. I'm a firm believer and I, and I, because this is how I've taught it. And I could, again, I'm wrong a lot. Um, but, uh, I'm a firm believer in breaking down actual stride mechanics from, you know, from the knee bend to, from the gliding foot. What is, what is that supposed to do? What does the knee bend look like? Where, where are you supposed to put the, you know, the posture of, you know, where's your striding foot supposed to land? Where is it supposed to come back to? Like all of those things, 
I'm a firm believer that you kind of break it down and you, you know, you build from, you know, just the base up, just like anything else. Where I do know that a lot of coaches are like, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do this, but there's no why. Like, players don't understand the why of, why do I need to have good knee bend? What is that going to result in my, you know, my stride? Or why do I need to, you know, have, you know, my foot come back quick, you know, or, or why am I pushing off at the very end on my inside toe? So on the inside edge of my, you know, my toe. Uh, so like, I'm a big f- firm believer in isolation, uh, especially with the skating mechanics. Uh, but what is, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I agree. I, I really do. And I actually think that that style of training has gone, has really improved over the last 20, 20 years. We have these things now, iPhones, yeah. holy smokes. I don't think I, I, for the listeners at home, I'm not that old, but, um, I never saw myself skating until I was like in high school. Like yeah. my, when we had a parent like recording some of our high school games, we didn't have live barn. We didn't have hockey TV. Nope. I never saw myself skate. I just assumed I was, <laughs> I was, I was sick. You're the next Mike Gartner. <laughs> I just assumed I was, you know, but now you can like, you can take a kid's skating. You can take their stride. You can have their, your phone out as a coach and they can see themselves skating and compare what they're doing compared to other kids skating. And you can correct some of just those mechanical deficiencies. And I, I agree with you. Isolation training is critical if you want to improve your skating because it, it really doesn't improve on its own. More often than not, it gets worse if you don't correct mistakes. Right. And that, again, that's why I, I'm a, I like it. Um, and again, I know a lot of coaches, you know, people are like, oh, isolation training, this and that. I, I think skating is just such a, you know, all the skills are important, but skating is such an important skill to get, you know, that you have to, I mean, if you can't do it, look, I mean, we talked earlier, look at the guys that are, you know, potential draft picks. A lot of them are going to be, you know, on their scouting reports. If you read them like, Oh, so-and-so he's got great hands. He's yes. Well, but you know, he's just an average skater, you know, and that's going to hold a guy that's going to hold a kid back from being picked in the top 10 and might then go in the top, you know, going 11 through 20 or go 21 through 30 or not even get drafted at all. You know, there's how many of those guys get go through it. So uh, what do you got coach for number two? Number two, full extension with your arms means full extension with your legs. This is um, a, like a, a term that was used in one of the hockey schools often when I was a kid. And you'll see a lot of people from those particular types of hockey schools, they'll have a wide arm swing. It goes forward to back. Um, I think it really, it's more about what feels natural for you. Every kid is, has a different shoulder to hip ratio, different arm length. Every kid, may, some kids might have shorter legs. Every kid is built differently. So uh, to generalize your arm swing, just that forward to back wide arm swing doesn't really work. I mean, if you look at Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid swings left to right. He swings side to side. Uh, that's how, and he's and he's pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I think that those general terms, the one thing I discovered about teaching kids nowadays uh, is kids are incredibly literal. Yeah. So if you tell them you need a full arm swing, full extension with your arms means full extension with your legs, they are going to look out there like they're spinning two pinwheels on each <laughs> side of their shoulders. So um, I think that's a little bit broad terminology, but um, I think you have to go with what feels comfortable and natural. And I know exactly what who what style of teaching that was, uh, who did that. Um, you know, I, I'm a big, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I do like, um, you know, teaching kids to go north and south because we do get kids yeah. that go like they look like they're the munchkins in the Wizard of Oz going, you know, the lollipop land going back and forth, like, you know, shrugging yeah, their shoulders. Yeah. But 
Um, you know, I mean, my thing is always just like, yeah, keep the tuck the elbows in, you know, and just like again, you know, from there, if they could go across their body, it's not a big deal. But yeah, those huge arm, like you're you're reaching out like speed skaters, which yes. which is what you know some. Again, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's how they, you know, they teach it. But uh, I agree with you. I like the, uh, I do like the fact that, uh, you know, that, that, that's a good point. You know, you let go with what's natural, but obviously some coaches are going to tinker with it a little bit, you know, for better results. But it in the long run, those huge sweeping motions, yeah, no, we don't need those. I think it's a lot of wasted motion, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. That, that big, those big motions. For sure. Uh, so number three here is uh, – the one thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I already talked about it, was uh, one myth is that the extension is the final part of the stride. Um, when in reality, the return of your stride, the return of your skate under your body is your uh, the final part of your stride. Um, so we talk about the gliding leg, which is under your body, it doesn't move. Then you've got your striding leg, which is the one that's pushing off. You're pushing off your all your weight. It's pushing off to your toe. And then the ne- then everybody's like, oh, okay, then it's the next stride. Well, no, you, you know some of the greatest skaters, and again, McDavid. You can go back and watch like Beret. You know, God, was he fast, right? Well, look how fast he brings his striding foot right back under his body, and I don't snaps back right. Like it's like you know, it's it's almost again, it's like a sprinter. You're going back like in and out, in and out, and it's I'm. Not shocked. I mean, again, nothing shocks me anymore with coaching and player development, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a neglected area that people that we don't really focus on enough of uh, is that return of bringing that foot back under the body. Um, you know, and again, I think that can definitely improve a player skating for sure, and it, it could make a world of difference. I I couldn't agree more. I thought you were going to kind of hit on uh, when you when you kind of wrote that down initially. I thought you were going to talk about the toe flick at the end of a skating stride, which, you know, you see a lot of kids kind of pushing off the heel right. rather than getting a full extension of their foot, um, which I think is, is critical, but also you're right. 100% that high leg kick, instead of that snapping back underneath their body, um, that slows more kids down um, than almost any other mechanic. So I, I agree with you. 100%. No, and I mean, you're even right with the toe, you know, the flicking of the inside edge of the, uh, the toe at the finishing there. That wasn't taught to me until I was a second year uh, Bantam, you know, and it wasn't even taught by like one of my coaches. It was taught by like a family member who was like, hey, do you do this? Like, so there's a lot of, again, this is the isolation training, but there's a lot of areas that are neglected or sure. they just, they're done once or twice. But uh, so um, that's what I had. Number four, what do you got, coach? This is like a little, little John right here. Get low. <laughs> Get low. Okay. So, <laughs> so a lot of you know you I, like I said in the, my earlier one, kids are incredibly literal. So you say get low to them, and they immediately hinge at their hips, and their head is like looking at the ice. Yep. So, I, coaches, I would just implore you to use different terminology. Talk about knee bend. Yep. Getting your butt down. Yep. That's more important than say get low. Yeah. Because when you say get low. They're going to bend at the hip, and they're going to be looking at the ice. And there's even kids, when you say get low, all of a sudden their their knees are now past their shoulders. And it's like they look like they're sumo wrestlers. And, you know, <laughs> yes. now, again, my, you know, Randy Jordan, my mentor, he, he, he used the philosophy. He calls it sumo skating, but, you know, he doesn't teach it outside the body. He just wants the guys to get, you know, just for the kids to get that image of getting low. And knee bend, again, it's another thing where – 
you know, you said literal, it's like, we need, again, we need to be specific on what we want. Um, and make sure that, you know, as you said, get low, that could mean anything. It's just like, no, no different when someone says, you know, Hey, you got to start skate, skate, skate. Well, yeah, the kid is skating. You want him to move his feet faster is what you want. So why don't you tell him to move his feet faster? Why actually, why don't you just shut up and let the kid play? But, um, (laughs) you know, but, uh, yeah, no, I agree. Getting low. That's, uh, that's huge. And again, that's players lose so much power, potential power and strength on their stride as well as balance ability to balance because they don't bend their knees enough. Yes, absolutely. And then uh, number five here uh, to close it out was uh, with myself. Uh, You're just as fast with a puck. And unfortunately, the fact of the matter is I don't think I know of any player that's just as fast as they were without a puck as they are with a puck as they are without a puck. Um, And I don't think it's trained enough to with skating with a puck. Um, from my standpoint, a lot of times when I see players, you know, the first thing that happens when they, as you just said, first thing that happens when they get the puck on their stick, they're no longer low. They stand up more, you know, that their posture changes a little bit. And I, you know, I implore players that are out there, coaches that are out there, uh, parents, you know, make sure that your child's working on skating with a puck just as much as without, because, it is a little different because now all of a sudden you're bringing, you're dragging something with you and your, your motion, you have a tendency to stand up more now. Well, that's going to happen naturally, but we want to make sure we're still staying low. And those kids that just bounce up and down, it's just like, no, try and find a single le- level and stay there. <laughs> but that's just my thoughts. No, that's, that's really good. I think it brings up a, a thing that I try to really kind of incorporate in every practice with, with youth kids. It's like a 50, 50 rule. When they have a puck in their stick, 50% of the time should be um, maneuvering around an obstacle, and then 50% of the time should be open ice skating with the puck. I like that. Because so many kids, when they're in their stations, they have two hands on their stick and they're approaching a cone or they're approaching some kind of obstacle and they got to maneuver. But very rarely do they practice like pushing the puck ahead and gathering and gaining speed or carrying one hand on the stick the puck on their stick and gaining speed. And a lot of kids don't really develop that skill until they're way later. Whereas yeah. when you were, when we were playing on the ponds as kids, or a little bit more unstructured, you were playing in a game like scenario. So like you always practice that stuff. So I think that's something that coaches really should think about when they're putting together practice plans. How many times are my kids skating and gathering speed rather than just avoiding or, or or going around an obstacle. You know, it's funny you say that. And I don't remember where it was. It might have been Sports Illustrated for Kids. It might have been uh, the hockey news growing up. I remember when Gabrick first came in the league. I was still somewhat – I was I was a freshman, I think, or around that time. And I remember in there, you know, it was like, oh, what are some tips you have for skating? Because you're one of the fastest guys in the league. And I remember he would say I would – when he's skating with the puck and he's putting it – puts it on his backhand side with one hand – He's actually pushing it out like six, seven, eight inches in front of him so he can gain speed. And I was just like, wow, that that was like night that's news to me. And I was just like, wow, why hasn't anyone ever taught me this in all my years of playing hockey? And it was just like, you know, again, there's all these little things that can make a huge difference. So yeah, puck handling, uh keeping that uh puck on your stick and knowing how to do it. I love that fifty fifty. Um, you know, 
And I know there's only we've only went through five. I'm sure there's thousands more we could do, but uh, you, we could always do two point Yeah, we could. But uh, I know you got a Devils game that you really want to watch. So uh, <laughs> let me. Uh, so we're recording this on Friday night, uh, right before the game. Give me your prediction, Coach, of what tonight's game is going to end the final. Uh, you know, it's going to be way more competitive. I think the Devils are going to come out um, with a better understanding of their opponent. Their opponent is a physical, gritty, tough team that's going to attempt to slow them down. Um, I would say the Devils, it's going to be close to this game. It's on home ice, though, in in Raleigh. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's like a 3-2 North uh, Carolina win. Going back to New Jersey, but they have a better understanding. They can kind of gear up like they did last round and make it a series when they get back on home ice. All right. What are your thoughts, Trevor? Uh, you know what? I'm just hoping for a good game. <laughs> no, I think I think you're you're spot on. I do like you know. I think this is you're not gonna like it, but I think this is gonna be the Hurricane series. But I think this is also building though for the Devils, kind of like we talked about like earlier with the Blackhawks, like the the O eight or the O nine Blackhawks. Like you had to get past Detroit first. Well, I think for these this young Devils team, I think that it's like this is gonna be your stepping stone. Like you gotta. You're gonna get. You might get knocked out. You might not win this series, but it's going to just make you better. So, like you know, what it just continues to take. But honestly, I, 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 I just, I will not, I will not root against my Devils. I will not agree with you and say that <laughs> they're not going to win. However, in principle, I do agree with most of what you said that, that that you need to learn how to lose before you can win. Exactly. And again, even when you're not, you know, you either win or you learn. So uh, that's that's how I like it. But. Uh, yeah, any, any closing thoughts? No, I'm looking forward. we got some big guests coming up here. Yes, sir. I'm really excited about some guests. This was kind of a – I was excited about this episode because it kind of touched on a lot of topics that we've been kind of putting on the back burner for a little bit. But I'm really excited about some of the guests we have coming up in the coming weeks. Absolutely. So uh, me too. Um, if anybody has any, uh, again, questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter um, or email. Um, please definitely like, subscribe, let us know what you think, how we're doing here. Uh, if there's something you'd like to be added again or taken out, um, like not me taken out, but, uh, you know, anything <laughs> like that, even though I'm in Chicago, I get it. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, more or less, uh, feedback's always appreciated. So, uh, outside of that, uh, I'm Trevor DeCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And, uh, yeah, you guys all have a good, uh, good weekend.